This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Matt Addison with Paul Ghost and Theo Squires alongside me here as we analyse the disappointing defeat to Southampton and look ahead to what that means for Liverpool moving forward. We'll take a look back at the game shortly and focus on the likes of Trent Alexander-Arnold and Thiago Alcantara, among others. And we will, of course, inevitably end up talking about the January transfer window too. Ghostly, I'll come to you first on this one. I mean, it was a poor Liverpool performance. There's no getting away from that. But what did you make of the game overall? It was a, it was a weird one because at half-time, I'm thinking Liverpool are a goal down. They haven't played particularly badly. They haven't played well by any stretch. And just pretty much just got caught out by an early lapse in concentration. But it wasn't a, it wasn't a kind of performance when you, you're looking at it and you're thinking... That's dreadful. That that's terrible. Should have done better there. They, they haven't done enough there. It was just a just a nothing performance. Just a complete meh of a performance. If if that is um, a bit of a strange way to sum it all up. But I just thought they got caught early on by the goal and, and never really looked like getting back into it. Too many players um, were just fives struggling to get sixes. Weren't they? There wasn't any sevens at all apart from maybe Sadio Mane. I don't think it was a performance where you know, he looked at Dodie's ratings and he's handed out twos and threes. It was just a middle of the road, nothing performance that was punished by an early lapse in concentration. Um, and Liverpool didn't deserve anything from it, I didn't think. Um, just a continuation of a theme that started probably from about 15 minutes against West Brom. Um, Liverpool have had been dealt a really kind hand, to be fair, with, with the the, uh, the schedule over Christmas, but it seems that the um, the more favourable it gets for them, the uh, the worse they play. You know, they, they seem to perform and turn up when backs are against the wall, and you've got several players out missing. It's kind of the opposite. Once the players are coming back in and the fixtures are easing up, that you know they are turning in worse performances, and it's a really strange one because the West Brom game is only the twenty seventh of December, and now we're all you know Liverpool lost last night on the fourth of January. And in the space of eight days, okay, they're still top of the Premier League, but they, they've had three results that could derail their season. They, they really need to, to snap themselves out of it and get themselves back into into some sort of form. Um, but with the FA Cup coming up on Friday, I don't think that's going to be the, the one that's going to kick them back into it. I think um, all eyes now are on January the 17th at Anfield when Manchester United come to town. Liverpool have had spells in the past, haven't they, Theo, where they've had two or three results, like Gorsty said, where it sort of derailed them a little bit. I suppose the, the positive thing is that if this is Liverpool's blip, then they are still top of the table and, and everyone else seems to be in a, a similar sort of situation this season. Yeah, it was always going to be the case this season that you're going to have inconsistencies and in these freak results against the lesser teams. I suppose they're not even freak results now because there have been so many of them I think it was um, Doyley's piece, was it, where he said, when does one of those nights just become one of those seasons? Because it is affecting everyone. I think what was different about last night compared to the last two games is against West Brom, you think Liverpool probably did enough work. They should have won. They didn't take the chances. Against Newcastle, should have won, didn't take chances. But against Southampton, they didn't create anything at all. There can be no qualms about losing that game. They just didn't look up for it. And I think where Mohamed Salah was so sensational earlier in the season where he's pretty much scoring everything he touched. 
he's lost a bit of sharpness or something in the last few games. So like we saw him miss a couple of good chances against Newcastle. And last night, it's like he was almost overthinking everything, uh, wanting to take an extra touch in the box to walk it in. And then Ryan Bertrand's coming in, sliding in, taking it off his toes. And there was one that struck me, I think, in the second half where he's got it on his left foot. And rather than seeing if he can bend it in the top corner, like he did against Crystal Palace only a few weeks ago, he's tried to find Sadio Mane with a pass and he's lost it. And it's just, there's something there that's different. And what's curious about it is it's come off the back of this amazing 7-0 win against Crystal Palace where everything they touched went in. Um, One big telling point for me is the fact that there are no fans in the grounds. So teams are defending so deep against Liverpool. And while in the past they've had the quality to break them down and get these late victories for everything, when you've got such congestion in the fixtures and the tiredness is there, Liverpool struggling to find that extra 10% when they really need it late in games. Like it's all very well destroying teams that are defending high or when you're pressing them and everything like we've seen Liverpool do so well in the past. But when Southampton were for a lot of that game, just in their box, Jack Stevens blocking everything, heading everything out. It is so hard to stop. It's so hard to find that breakthrough. And it does come down to a bit of luck because how many blocks of them, like we saw against Tottenham, Mohamed Salah takes a shot and it takes a horrible deflection. It goes in the top corner. Liverpool haven't had that luck in the last few games. But for the last few seasons, it has been a case of Liverpool. They're always on top. They always get the result done. There have not been many days like this at all. Granted, it might be a few in a row now, but you've got to have faith that Jurgen Klopp can find that spring broad. And it's happening against the lesser teams. As Gorsley's just pointed out, Aston Villa might not be the one to turn it around, but Liverpool have shown in the past that they do turn it on against the big teams, those in this season especially, or when they are finding their best form. And you just hope that against Manchester United, they can do it because this could be a game where they're not top going into that. City and United have got their games in hand coming up. It is going to be crucial for Liverpool to send a statement to show we might have had a uh, sticky spell over Christmas, but we are still the champions. We are still the team to beat and you're going to have to fight us to take this title off us. I think, Gorsty, it's important to, to say we obviously praise Liverpool's players a lot when they're playing well. So at the same time, it's only really fair to criticise them when they haven't been at their best. They haven't been creating a huge amount of chances recently, but I suppose it's a, a balancing act, isn't it? Like Theo says, we don't want to go overboard because this is very much a, a blip in form rather than anything more significant. Yeah, of course. And I think Klopp said the exact same thing, didn't he, after the game? I think he said uh, he gets angry with them. Um, but not for long. And the fact that they've won, the, won things in the past doesn't kind of exempt them from, from criticism. I'm not sure that Liverpool have been vastly below par over the last three games. Um, and quite rightly, we're, we're critiquing that performance, aren't we? You know, we? We've done nothing but shower Liverpool with praise for the best part of, of what, three years now on, on, on this podcast? And uh, they are in a bit of a dry patch and, and a sticky spot. And it's something that you're not used to seeing with this. With this Liverpool team, um, I think even last season when, when when they weren't playing well, they were still coming away with with victories and, and three points. But this season doesn't really seem to be the case. It's it's almost if, if Liverpool don't put in a, a top performance and and one that is worthy of the points, then you don't get them. And uh, maybe it's just a little bit of leveling out because let's face it, last season for for how good it was, it's something that Liverpool fans will will remember forever. That that season where they went. You know, they won the league by 18 points and they were 25 clear before there was a lockdown in March. They, they'd lost only one before then. And uh, those seasons don't come around very often. I think it would be once in a generation that we'll see in that kind of performance across a 38-game season. So I think um, expectations need to be tempered a little bit by the fact that 
Um, what I've just said there, it's, it's a bit of an anomaly of a season, plus the fact that we played a lot of games, we've had lots of injuries. You know, VAR is is obviously a big factor this season. Um, no fans, as Theo points out. Mm. It's you know, there, there, are, there are plenty of factors as to why Liverpool aren't quite um, sparkling at the moment. But um, I, I still think, even though you, you can't really put it down to, to the last three results, I still think Liverpool's major problem is the fact that um, they don't have any centre-backs. Um, you know, it, OK, they're not um, not firing on, on any cylinders at the moment, let alone all. But I think long-term, I think that will... Even itself out, Liverpool have got too much firepower for that to be a problem for too long. But I think as long as you're playing central midfielders, you know, key central midfielders in defence, that has a massive impact on what happens in midfield. And um, it's just a, just a knock-on effect that I think needs addressing sooner rather than later. Yeah, Henderson and Fabinho, Theo, that was the experiment that Liverpool did. It didn't really work, did it? As Gorsty said, it wasn't really the fact that they didn't play well at centre-back. It was more what they missed further forward. But, you know, that was the 10th different centre-back partnership in 17 Premier League games so far this season. That pretty much just sums up the problem that Jurgen Klopp has got. Yeah, it very much does so. And it's also a case of how many games are coming thick and fast and how he's had to make those changes. Like we can look to the fullbacks. Andy Robertson has probably had one of his best spells of form for Liverpool, but it's complete opposite for Trent Alexander-Arnold on the other side. And it's like when you have that inconsistency in who you can play in defence, there is going to be uncertainty in your back line. And it's the goalkeeper as well, because Alisson's had his spells out. And it just breathes that um, uncertainty through the whole team. And it isn't just defending because for the majority, Liverpool might make the odd mistake here and there, but you're not thinking, despite the players that are there, oh, that is a really bad defensive error. It's just what they're missing elsewhere. Like Jordan Henderson, he's been so good for the past 18 months, two years, as this leader in midfield, as this box-to-box option, urging his team on. Fabinho, exactly the same. The two midfielders Liverpool have been able to count on most for consistent performances, along with Genie Wijnaldum. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and Thiago Alcantara both coming back from injury. It was always going to be a big ask for them to go and replace those players, that physical presence in the midfield. And it's just Liverpool are having to do horses for courses and it's gone to the stage now where they are missing those options elsewhere. Like As much as you can say you miss Virgil van Dijk, it isn't defensively. It's what else he offers the team. It is that leader, that winner at the back, urging everyone else on reading the game, demanding this and that from his teammates the same way Henderson does in midfield. But it's also what he offers uh, offensively. Like How many times did Liverpool send in cross after cross last night and you just never felt they were going to score? You never felt anyone was going to win a header there. And it was the same for the corners. I know Jamie Carragher has come out and said for the, the short corners in the last couple of games when they've tried one late on and it's just not worked. But then, then there isn't that belief that they are going to score from one. I think was it Tim Sherwood who got caught out when he said the same before Roberto Firmino's winner against Tottenham. But let's be honest, who actually thought Firmino or any Liverpool player were going to get their head on that corner and win it for them? Because Liverpool aren't the same threat as they are from these crosses now. And it's a mixture of they don't have the presence there because it's players who aren't familiar in these positions and they don't have the training time, do they, to get it all together. Like in a normal season, they're not playing every two, three days. So you can work on Jordan Henderson at centre-back or Fabinho at centre-back, or you can put them alongside Bruce Williams, Nat Phillips, and they can have a good week training consistently to get this partnership right with the full-backs to get it all together. And at the moment, they're not having that time. So it's just getting the fittest players out on the pitch and hoping it sticks. 
And at the moment, it's not. And you've got players who aren't performing. Standards are dropping. Confidence is dropping a little bit as a result. And you're just hoping that when they've got this Aston Villa game, it's giving them a break from the Premier League. Jurgen Klopp can use it to get some life into this team. But I'd like to think the past the worst now. Like Christmas, New Year, it is always so busy and so challenging on players due to that fixture congestion. In a normal season, we see players rotated and it was going to be worse this year. We all saw it coming and it's just disappointing when it has happened, but it's not a surprise. Now they get that little bit of an ease up. You're hoping they can find that second wind, find some form in the league. And then when the Champions League starts, that can give them some real fire in the belly to go again for the rest of the season. You mentioned VAR before, Gorsty, and I think we should quickly touch on a couple of possible penalty decisions that Liverpool probably felt they could or perhaps should have had yesterday. Jurgen Klopp spoke about Manchester United getting plenty of those penalties, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But first of all, what was your, your verdict on the two shouts that Liverpool had? Obviously, the, the supposed foul on Sadio Mane and, and also the handball. I think the handball would have been slightly harsh. Uh, it was a Jack Stevens who, who kind of turned his back on it. I thought he was a little bit close and went out and shot for that to be given a penalty. But the other one, the other one's a penalty. You know, I'm sitting there watching Manchester United against Aston Villa on whenever it was. Was it, can't even remember now, was it before New Year or New Year's Day or whenever it was anyway? And um, seeing Paul Pogba goes over in the box and that's given us a penalty. And there was not much difference. You know, it's almost a, an identical kind of situation other than managed going down the line and, and Pogba's cutting across the box. You know, one's a penalty and one's not. And um, it just seems to be the way luck is, is turning for Liverpool at the moment. Um, I was surprised by Klopp mentioning that with, with United, actually, because he didn't make too much of it, but he, he doesn't need to for that to be made into a, into a bigger deal, you know, kind of beyond our pages and in the national newspapers and, you know, the... the other websites and so on. Um, so I was a little bit surprised by that, but um, does he have a point? Um, this season, I think United have only had one more penalty than Liverpool, but across the across the wider debate, United have had 40 odd compared to how many that Liverpool have had. Jordan only going to Solskjaer's time at United, never mind just how long Klopp's been at Liverpool. So, um, you know, I'm sure we're going we're gonna to get onto it in a bit, but um, for me, the demand I want from. Um, can't remember who it was now. It wasn't Valerie, was it? Um, whoever Walker it was. He Walker Peters, yeah, that was it from Kyle Walker Peters. That for me was a penalty. And uh, I wasn't surprised to see it not given because that seems to be the way um, <clears throat> certain uh, decisions are going against Liverpool at the moment. Um, but for me, that was a penalty. I just yeah, don't know what I just don't know what is a penalty anymore. Like you're watching games and you're seeing the same instance time and time again, whether it's a challenge, whether it's a handball and when the, the VAR comes into it or not. VAR is supposed to be there for what is clear and obvious. And if anything, it's had the exact opposite effect. I have no idea what is clear and obvious. And you can see this instance so many times. And when you watch it in slow motions on the screens and it makes it even more uncertain, it is purely down to the individuals and when as, who are officiating the games in the VAR studio. And when they've got that pressure on them and you can interpret it different ways, <laughs> when you're thinking about decisions in previous games when it's been completely different, it's a minefield. They just need to simplify it or something or take it out altogether because it is a mess. Like I'm watching the, the Sadio Mane challenge. And you think there's contact. Could it be a penalty? I just don't know anymore. I'm second guessing it because of all these challenges we've had in the past. You, you don't know what the decision is going to be because it's purely down to the referee on the night. The same for the handball. We've seen them given time and time again. But now, 
I think there's so much uncertainty with fans, with pundits, with the officials who are at this position where it's just, how do you feel on the night? What do you see when you know all these replays and everything? It's going to look completely different to everyone else. And nothing is now clear and obvious because I could say one thing, Gorsley could say another. <laughs> it's just the same week in, week out. And until they rectify that, it's just going to be something we're grumbling about week in, week out. I think it adds to the frustration as well with the handball that if that had happened in the first two or three matches of the season, it would have been a penalty. Since then, of course, the rules have been changed mid-season. But uh, yeah, just you mentioned before the statistics, Gorsty, Ian Doyle's written a piece this morning. He says that since Solskjaer took over, there's been 42 penalties in 117 Premier League games for Manchester United. Jurgen Klopp, of course, has been in charge much, much longer. Liverpool have had 46 in 291 games. I mean, the statistics there are pretty stark in terms of the difference, but I suppose it's quite difficult to sort of work out exactly why that is because, you know, we don't want to point fingers of bias or, or anything like that, but it is a, a strange statistic. Yeah, it really is. I mean, just going off those figures there, roughly, United are getting almost one in two, isn't it? And Liverpool are getting one in six, roughly, um, which is strange because Liverpool would spend just as much time as United do it in, in the penalty area. Um, particularly with the the speed that they've got from Mane and Salah, it's it's a, it's a really quirky statistic, isn't it? And um, watching United, particularly towards the, the back end of last season, um, they saw them quite a lot in in the Europa League and, and the, the Premier League because pretty much every game was on at the time, and they seem to be getting one at every game. It really was strange how it was happening, and, and they're not always stonewallers. Sometimes they are definite ones, and um, it, it's. It's it's tough to put your finger on, isn't it? But but those those stats there, as you say, are, are very stark, and and it's interesting to see why the Pearl aren't quite awarded as as many as United because, um, it it does seem to be a tactic of United. One thing I would say is, um, they seem to get in the box and don't necessarily take a direct route to goal. They they tend to keep it in the penalty area for as long as they can and, and maybe invite one or two challenges. They get the body in as much as they can, and they, they don't take any hesitation to to go down. And and I suppose that the way the game is now, you you've been naive to stay on your feet too much. I mean, I'm still puzzled as to why Liverpool didn't get one at Newcastle when Carl Darlow had all the Sadio Mane's leg. And if he'd have made more of that, then Liverpool probably would have got a penalty. But um, he didn't get one then. He didn't get one last night. It always seems to be Mane at the moment, doesn't it? And um. I mean, he's hesitant to point out any kind of bias because I think once you start talking about that kind of stuff, you, you're heading into um, unstable ground. But um, it, it is interesting that Liverpool aren't getting anywhere near as much penalties as United across that same time frame when they um, are generally outperforming them points-wise and, and you, know, you know, they've been at the top of the Premier League for longer. What's curious for me looking at it is when you look at the front threes of both teams, it is similar in how they play at the extent that it's quick, pacey players who want to get forward. They want to get in the box and they're going to get lots of chances. So it's like Mohamed Salah, Sadio Mane in the box. It's the same as Martial or Rashford. They are going to invite challenges. And they are going to be having players clipping their heels or whatever to stop them because they are players that cause fear. But you never hear people say, Marcus Rashford's a bit of a diver or Anthony Martial's a bit of a diver. Whereas Mohamed Salah has had that narrative against him pretty much ever since his first season with Liverpool. And it might be simplistic to say that comes into referees' thinkings. But 
it's just one of those where Manchester United don't, don't get accused of diving, whereas other teams do. Like I know um, our Blue Brothers on the site here, when they did, uh, was it a Calvert-Lewin? He was accused of diving by the BBC Sport Pundits on 6.06 over the weekend. And like Richarlison always gets this. Wilfred Zaha is another one. These teams don't get the penalties, whereas Manchester United, they never get the same accusations. And so, well, quick players in boxes are going to get fouled. There is going to be contact. They are going to go to ground because they know if they go to ground and there's contact that they might win a penalty. But it's fine for one player to do it and it's not for another. Like Harry Kane, how many times does he back into a player and then go down under the challenge and he seems to get penalties? It just seems to be these narratives with individual players and what can win a penalty, what isn't. And Mohamed Salah, Sadio Mane, maybe that is the feeling now that they do go down too easily. But if they don't go down, they don't win anything. Very odd. It's certainly another inconsistency along with VR that you're just cursing and frustrated because it depends on day-to-day basis what's going to get given. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Certainly plenty of frustration in that regard, but we will move on a little bit from refereeing decisions and we'll talk a little bit, Gorsi, about Thiago Alcantara. He was the name that everyone was waiting to see, but he didn't quite follow the script in the end. In the space of five minutes, a national lockdown had been called. Liverpool had conceded a goal and Thiago Alcantara was on a yellow card. <laughs> yeah, baptism of fire for English football, wasn't it really? And you think that give away the foul, concede from it and then um, goes into goes into every hand and picks up a booking. Um, look, I mean, you can't criticise Thiago. It's his, only his second Liverpool start. It's his first, well... First 90 minutes since the Merseyside derby back in the middle of October. But again, I think it comes back to the points I was making before about having maybe Henderson in, in defence when he, he would be a lot better served in midfield. I mean, I don't know what um, what Nat Phillips wouldn't, why Nat Phillips was left out of the game yesterday, other than the fact that Klopp's made the point before that he's not quite, you know, a top player in possession, but but that's fine. It doesn't need to be. He just needs to keep it simple and, and give it to Fabinho next to him or maybe Henderson or, you know, Thiago is the ideal one, you know, five yards ahead of him, isn't he? So I think if, if Thiago would have been in there with um, maybe not Oxlade-Chamberlain, who was making his own start this you know, his first start, I think we might have seen him show up a little bit more um, and put in a little bit more of a, you know, a, Reluctant to say better performance, but I think he might have had a little bit more influence on the game had he had Jordan Henderson alongside him yesterday. I think it was a little bit difficult in there, as I say, with Oxlade Chamberlain, who hasn't started all season. Juan Alden, who pretty much starts every game, who might, might be feeling the effects of a little bit of burnout at the moment. So I, th- I think it, it all has a knock on effect. And Casey Jones is another one who's played a lot of football, so maybe it was Klopp was reluctant to, to give him the nod, and Naby Keita's injured. and it, it, it's, it's all, as I say, it's just like a, a domino effect that stems from that centre-back position. So, um, you know, it, he'll enjoy better days, no question. He, he's a world-class footballer and can't wait to see what he's going to be capable of between now and May and, and the rest of his Liverpool career. But um, it was a tough, uh, little bit of a baptism of fire for him on, on his return to action. There was a few sort of suggestions, and I'll stay with you for, for this, Gorsty. I mean, there was a few suggestions that he maybe would be better suited playing slightly further forward for Liverpool. Do you think we maybe saw that, or do you think that the number six role is something for him further forward? It, it just maybe wasn't the right occasion for him to show that. Yeah, I, I, th- I think where he plays is, 
you wouldn't want to move him out of it, would you? Because that is where he's made his name. That is is why he's got the reputation he has. He's a two-time Champions League winner. The only other two clubs he's ever played for are Bayern Munich and Barcelona. And I think there's a genuine case to be made, certainly in the Premier League era, that he's the most high-profile player that Liverpool have ever brought in. So I wouldn't want to be chopping and changing with his best role um, too often, too quickly. Um, just let him bed in and, and get his feet under the table and then we'll start to see why he's so so revered. And, and I think anyone who's followed European football for, for a number of years knows how good he is and, and how good he will be. So there's no real concern over, over that from my perspective. It's just maybe not the game for him. And um, it's, it's easy to say that now with hindsight because I think everyone wanted to see him thrown in and, and, you know, let's see what he can do because they've waited so long to see him in a Liverpool team from the start. And um, just, a, just a tough night for him like it was for for, um, for pretty much everyone else. So um, no real concerns for me, but um, just as I say, he's just been a, a victim of, of circumstance where Liverpool have got no no centre-back. So they're playing two midfielders in there and, and he's been left kind of man in the fort at a time when, when others, are, for various reasons, are struggling themselves. It was a difficult night as well, Theo, for Trent Alexander-Arnold. He's not been in the best of form of late. I mean, there's a couple of things to sort of unpack in that regard. I mean, first and foremost, are you concerned at all about his form? And secondly, how do you get him back into form? Do you take him out of the team or do you sort of let him play his way back? Uh, concerned about his form in the moment, yes, but long-term, no. He is a world-class footballer. On his day, he's one of the best fullbacks in the world. And he has had a sensational career to date for someone so young to have won the Champions League, to have won the Premier League, to have played a World Cup. It is the start of this brilliant Liverpool career, this brilliant career in general. And you know he's going to win trophy after trophy as he goes along and just pick up all these individual awards. But it's not happened for him this season. And I think it's partly the schedule. Like he got injured in pre-season when it was a brief pre-season anyway. And he's never had a chance to get that fitness levels up. And he's been thrown in the deep end because... Liverpool have had players missing and they've had to play him. And then the team's playing differently. He's not getting the assists. He's been targeted a bit more defensively. And it's all just come together. It's not been great for him. Uh, it's a hard one where well, if you take him out, Liverpool still lose something. Like him and Andy Robertson are sensational in what they offer in attack when they're on form and what they can do. And even when they're not on form, there's still an upgrade on, say, a Nico Williams or a James Milner in those roles. So it's hard to give him that air to breathe to try and take him out of the spotlight. But then Liverpool have been trying to play him into form for a while and it's not happened. Um, but it's easy to forget. He is still a very young footballer. I can remember Steven Gerrard when he was breaking through, I think 2002, 2003. So he'd won the treble in um, 2000, 2001, been PFA Young Player of the Year. And then he gets an injury that rules him out of the 2002 World Cup. And then he had a pretty poor 2002-2003 season. I think it was against Basel when Liverpool got knocked out of the Champions League. He was like substituted at half-time and Jared Hulier took him out the spotlight. Well, within a year, he's Liverpool captain. Within two years, it's Istanbul and he's one of the best midfielders on the planet. They've, he had such talent, obviously. You knew he was going to find his feet again and it was just a case of getting it back into him. And Trent's the same. We all know the talent he's got. We all know what a world-class player he is going to be and how great he is going to be for Liverpool. It is just riding the storm. And then Jurgen Klopp, he's got the best manager for him because you know how good bad management is with Jurgen Klopp. You, you know how he, he's, all the players love him, whether he'll put his arm around his shoulder or shout at him a bit. Jordan Henderson in particular has given Trent a mouthful in the last couple of games. 
and there is something there that's not right. But between them, they'll get it right. He might not be in the best form now, but I'd be very surprised if we're saying the same about him in April, May. <laughs> Hopefully this is the bad form of his Liverpool career out the way, as Gerard did in 02-03. And now for 10, 15 years, we can just see one of the very best players that the club's ever produced win trophy after trophy and write his name into the record books. It's always worth having him on the pitch, isn't it? Just for those assists and everything that he does offer, even when he's not quite at his best. In terms of Liverpool, more generally though, Gorsty, there is a little bit of a trend in terms of their away form. One win in seven now for them on the travels. Without fans being there, it shouldn't really be as apparent that difference between home and away. So what do you think it is? Do you know what? I, I can't put my finger on this. Um I'm going back to, I was there at Stamford Bridge when Liverpool came up against Chelsea and there was so much concern because Matip and Gomez were injured, so Van Dijk was alongside Fabinho and <clears throat> you think now if, if that was your option, Liverpool, you'd think Liverpool would coast to the title. Um, and Liverpool were superb, you know, Chelsea were, were the new new boys on the block as it were, but spending all that money and Liverpool just completely took the fight to them and come away comfortable winners and, and I remember coming away from Stamford Bridge thinking, Okay, that this is a, is a different season in terms of playing. Probably going to play the majority of season with no fans, but this Liverpool team are still the best team around. It doesn't really matter where they go; they, they still show up. And since then, it hasn't really been the case. You know, we can say they were incredibly unlucky in the Merseyside derby, of course, with so many decisions that went against them. Manchester City, they were out on their feet, but still managed to get a, a really good draw. But then from from there, it's, it's been really poor. I mean, the, the they were unlucky against Brighton with with another couple of decisions that went against them and, and Fulham, they, they really didn't show up. Fulham was the one for me that I started to get a little bit concerned because, you know, Fulham were, were really struggling at the time and it looked like a pretty much a gimme and Liverpool were, were lucky to get a draw that day. And um, it, it, it's just a really strange thing that um, they're, they're so good at Anfield, they're so dominant for the, for the most part. Um, I think they've only dropped the, the two points haven't this season and that was a, against West Brom in, in the last game there and when, when they come away from Anfield now you, you, you worry and you, you're thinking no matter who they're up against it's going to be a really tough game and a bit of a struggle and they'll, be, they'll have to dig in to get three points and, and Crystal Palace aside that, that has been the way it's it's been but as I say Matt I can't really can't really tell you why that is um, it's not a case of them you know, showing up and assuming that they're going to win. That I just think that there's just a lack of spark there in the final third, and um, it really needs to to be rectified. And and, and as I say, I, I think I think the the injury to Jota has kind of put them on the rocks, hasn't it? Because he's been so good in the first few months of the season. He scored nine goals at a time when others, particularly Firmino, have been misfiring a little bit. He's kind of taken the pressure off them, and now he's not there. Um, it, it, it's showing at the moment and um, hopefully he's back in training in the next couple of weeks um, because Liverpool uh, need him at the moment, don't they? It um, really is a difficult one to uh, to, to, to surmise, really, but um, I think Jota needs to return sooner rather than later. Yeah, Diogo Jota, Theo, is going to make a, a huge difference. I just want to touch a little bit on Takumi Minamino as well, of course, scored his first Premier League goal in that 7-0 win over Crystal Palace, but we just haven't seen him since. Does that seem a little bit harsh, given that Liverpool are struggling to create chances? 
yes and no. I think when he's been given his opportunity off the bench, there have been a lot of times where he hasn't been able to influence games. Um, and it's a strange one where Jordan Shakiri came on last night and he didn't really do too much either. I don't think players are necessarily coming off the bench and having that impact, but there definitely seems to be something in uh, Minamino losing a bit of, I don't know, not faith from Jurgen Klopp, but he's not the go-to option that he was earlier in his Liverpool career. The same as Divock Origi is on the bench, but Liverpool aren't going to turn to him when they need a goal. And you think, well, it was quite a talent substitution, wasn't it? That rather than throw on an attacking body to try and get something out of the game, like he could have done with Minamino, uh, the next, was it the second change from Klopp was, I'm going to protect Trent, I'm going to take him off, and we need James Milner there. It's just whether he's been a bit cautious with the results, but we, we don't know how the players are training. Uh, Minamino, uh, you can have to tell me whether Austria have a winter break or not, but he's still getting up to speed with uh, English football and it could be his first time, probably is his first time, where he's not had this break where he's playing so much over the festive period. But we might not have seen him in the last couple of games, but you pretty much can guarantee you're going to see him against Aston Villa in some form. And whether he's up front, out wide in midfield, it's another one. Well, how can he find that consistency? When you don't know what role he's going to be in from one game to the next. He has had moments when he has looked really good. Uh, I think on the eve of the season, we're all very excited about him, weren't we? Like he looked really good when he came up against Arsenal at the Community Shield. I think it was Blackpool and a friendly, was probably one of the best performers that day. But then he's had some games where he's gone missing. It's just been a bit up and down. It's one of those where he just needs a run of games, a run of form to show what he can do. He's got talent, but he's got these games where he goes missing as well. And maybe that's why Jurgen Klopp isn't trusting him off the bench in some when he needs to turn a game around or he's just got faith in the start and 11. But then there's always that thought in the back of the head as well that you can't throw all your substitutes on because what if you lose someone to injury? You've always got to hold something back so you don't end a game with 10 men because players are breaking down every other game at the moment. Just before we finish then, Theo touched there on Aston Villa, Gorstiel. Come to you on this one to finish. I mean, we know that Jurgen Klopp doesn't necessarily value the FA Cup as, as much as some other managers and, and some other fans potentially would like him to. But does Liverpool's last three results now put a little bit more pressure on them to, to go to Aston Villa, play a stronger team and, and sort of play themselves back into form? And I suppose tied in with that is the huge gap between yesterday's game and Manchester United if he doesn't go strong. Yeah, quite possibly. But I, I still think that um, for all the for all the points you make there, I still think Klopp will be looking at that game on January the 17th and knowing that Liverpool absolutely have to get a result there. I think Liverpool, I don't even think they, they can afford to, to to take a point because they're at home. The onus is on them to, to beat United um, on paper. They're the better team. Um, they beat them there last season fairly comfortably, besides maybe a good 15, 20 minutes spell for United. So United will be desperate to get out of Anfield without defeat, and it um, crucially keeps them kind of on the straight and narrow because they've, they've obviously got that game in hand they, against Burnley on, on Tuesday. So um, I still think Klopp will be looking at that game on the 17th and thinking that is the, that is the big one this month. And um, okay, the, the game against Villa. Is, is a big one for the points that you make in terms of they're in a little bit of a sticky spot and can't afford to have another poor result and go out the cup straight away. But um, I, th- I think Villa are probably likely to go strong. They're having a, a superb season, aren't they, at a time when not a lot of people are expecting much other than for them to, to stay up. And I, I think Dean Smith has 
a fantastic job there and, and he continues to do so. So that will be probably a little bit of a free hit for them. So they might play something resembling their first choice Premier League team and Liverpool might just have to um to tough that one out with, with a bit of a second string with all eyes on Manchester United on the seventeenth. Yes, well, we'll talk more about Aston Villa on Thursday. That's when your next Blood Red podcast will be because, of course, Liverpool are back in action on Friday. But that just about brings us to the end of today's podcast. Analyzing Anfield will be with you on Wednesday as Josh and Dave get stuck into the data and statistics behind what we've spoken about today. For now, though, from myself, Matt Addison, from Paul Gorst and from Theo Squires, until next time here on the Blood Red channel, thank you for joining us and goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.